It's good that God is in the business of breaking our hearts and showing us the truth. Otherwise, we would continue on in our error. I want to turn together in our Bibles this morning, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is an illustration of God at work among a people whose hearts had been hardened to the truth of the gospel. Our text this morning is lengthy, and so I want to get right to the passage and begin reading. We're going to read most of Acts chapter 2 this morning and take that as our text. And I want to ask the question, all of us together this morning, that is asked in this text in verse number 12, when the people saw this supernatural occurrence taking place, that is, the disciples speaking in tongues that they had not studied and communicating clearly the wonderful works of God and every man hearing in his own language the message of the gospel, they asked this question in verse number 12, what meaneth this? This morning we want to ask that question and hopefully answer that question from the text. What did it mean the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2 is obviously the recounting of the incredible accounts of God at work on the day of Pentecost. This was a day when several thousand people were converted and turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to look at the whole context here, so we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 40, and so you pay attention as I read the text. Make sure that you keep your mind engaged, and that'll help further along in the message as we uh, move through a lot of ground here to answer the question, what does this mean, the events on the day of Pentecost? Verse number one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, Are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. 
But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses." Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Acts chapter 2 details the coming of the promise of the Father. Jesus had told his disciples that they were to tarry at Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit should come. Jesus told them that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would have power 
they would have the ability to go and fulfill the task that he had given them to do. They had faithfully waited in the upper room in Jerusalem, and now Acts chapter 2 describes the scene as the Holy Spirit comes. Now today, there is a lot of confusion about what exactly happened on the day of Pentecost. There's a lot of confusion about whether or not you and I should be seeking for this sort of an experience that the disciples had on the day of Pentecost. And so this morning, we're asking the question, what meaneth this? As the people who gathered around and saw these people speaking in these unknown tongues that were known to them, and they said, what meaneth this? This is something that we've never seen before. So this morning, we want to answer that question. We want to pretend that those men are asking us, what meaneth this? And we want to answer to them and to ourselves the meaning of the day of Pentecost. Notice with me, first of all, what it meant. It meant that the power of God was present. What they were observing was undeniably a work of God. This was not the work of man. What the disciples were experiencing was something that was outside of themselves. It was supernatural. This was, in fact, the gift that had been assured to them by the Lord himself. You'll notice in verse number one that they were with one accord in one place. In other words, they were in a spirit of absolute unity as they had spent 10 days in prayer and preparation. They were gathered together in one place. It's important for churches to do that. And then the promise of the Father came. It was a unique experience. In verse 2, it tells us that there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind that came from heaven. That sound filled the house where they were sitting, and then over the top of every one of them, there appeared cloven tongues. Cloven means separated. Cloven tongues of like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. So there was a visible manifestation. This was a powerful manifestation. And then the result of this was that these individuals were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let me, for a moment, point out to you what is happening here and what the scripture means when it says they began to speak with other tongues. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this in today's Christianity. There's a lot of people who assume that this gift is for today, and they misunderstand what this gift is in the first place. The text is very clear. These disciples were given the supernatural ability to speak languages that they had never studied. Those languages were understood by people who were going to be in the audience. There were many languages, they're listed in our text, that were being spoken. They were all preaching the same message, but they were preaching this message in different languages for the benefit of those who would hear In this case, those who were hearing 
were unbelieving Jews and proselytes who had come from all over the world for the occasion of the Passover celebration and all of the feast days that led up from Passover to the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days later. They had traveled from different regions of the world. And you might say, well, what were they doing in all of those parts of the world? Well, this is really just the result of what is often referred to as the diaspora, the scattering of the Jewish people, which took place all the way back at the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament. And those people were scattered all over the face of the earth. Some of them returned to the land of Israel after 70 years in captivity, but many of those people stayed in communities in parts around the world, and they were still maintaining their culture as Jews. They still regarded themselves as worshipers of the true God. They still spoke the Hebrew language. Therefore, they were able to understand what was going on in Jerusalem. But they had all lived for many generations in other parts of the world and spoke other tongues as well. So here they are in Jerusalem from all these parts of the world, and these men get up and they begin preaching and teaching about the wonderful works of God in all of these different languages. This caused a sense of wonderment. This caused the question that was asked, what meaneth this? How can such a thing happen? The comment is made in verse 7. Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And the, the, uh, the, the impact or the intent of that comment is these are uneducated people. These are not people who are linguists. These are not people who have studied languages. In other words, it was clear that this was not some natural ability in a language that they were displaying. This is something that was given to them in that moment by the Holy Spirit of God so that they could communicate the truth of the gospel. It was more than that, though. It was also a sign or a, a, a miracle of authentication. It was God putting his stamp of approval on these men and saying to these unbelieving Jews, the message that they are communicating is not their own message it is a divine message, and you better pay attention. So what this means is that on the day of Pentecost, the power of God is present. Now, I want to say a word about this experience of the power of God, because there are those today who suggest that we ought to seek after this kind of an experience. They speak today, for instance, about speaking in tongues. It's important for us to understand that when people speak today about speaking in tongues, they are speaking about something entirely different than what happened in Acts chapter 2. Right. Usually they are referring to what they believe is a private prayer language where they are speaking in a tongue that is unknown to them as well as everyone else and only God understands what they're saying and they believe this is to be used in prayer. This is a misunderstanding of what tongues was in this apostolic period 
This is a misunderstanding of this sign gift. And certainly we could demonstrate from the scriptures that this is something that does not happen today. Now, could we argue this morning that this would be a tremendous benefit? If, if only missionaries could go to the mission field and not have to study the language. If only the Holy Spirit would just miraculously give them the language, then they would be able to immediately begin communicating the gospel. And we could say, well, that would be a wonderful thing, but that's not how God is working in this generation. Really what is happening in Acts chapter 2 is God is authenticating the ministry of the apostles and he's doing so to Jewish people. By the way, the gift of tongues is primarily a sign which was given to the Jewish people. We find that when we look at how tongues was to be used and they were, it was particularly given to unbelieving Jewish people so that they would understand that what was being said was coming from God himself. So what we see in this passage is that clearly the power of God is present. Now you might ask yourself the question then, well, now that we, if we say, well, we, this is not a gift for today, does that mean we don't experience the power of God? Oh no, absolutely not. Amen. We do experience the power of God. In fact, we have a tremendous benefit today that these apostles did not have, and that is that we have the completed Word of God, which is one of the greatest miracles that we can hold in our hands, the fact that God has communicated to man and His revelation has been finished. Therefore, we can go to God's Word and we can verify what is truth and what is error on the basis of what has God said. Today, the miracle that shows us what to believe is the miracle of this book, the completed Word of God. The power of God is certainly present in this generation to save, to draw men to Christ. Understand, this is a very visible demonstration of the power of God, and certainly it was intended to get these people's attention and show them the power of God is present. There's a second thing, though, that this means. Not only is the power of God present on the day of Pentecost, but then we find in verses 14 through 21, what this means is that the prophecies of God are fulfilled. Peter stands up and begins preaching in verse number 14, along with the 11, the other 11 apostles, and he lifted up his voice and he began to declare to them, because some were mocking, oh, these guys are drunk. These guys have been hitting the wine a little too hard. He says, men and brethren, these men are not drunk. And, and you know, the people who are hearing them speak in their own language are realizing this is not drunkenness. This is not babbling. This is not people losing their mind. This is people communicating intelligently in a language that I understand. He says, these men are not drunk. What you are seeing is actually that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. The Old Testament prophet Joel had spoken of these events. And Peter calls attention to that prophecy. And he says, these things, according to verse 16, that are happening, 
were things that were predicted by God before. The fact that God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, (coughs) that their sons and their daughters would prophesy, that their young men would see visions, their old men would dream dreams. God had predicted that this would happen. And what was the point of these prophecies? It was for them to know that God was at work, that the power of God was present, that the prophecies of God were fulfilled. But you understand that the, the reason for those prophecies wasn't just to look forward to some kind of a dramatic experience. It was to call men rather to the place where they would understand that there was a need for them to be right with God. Which is what he points out in verse number 21, quoting from the prophet Joel, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said there's a need for you to be rescued. There's a need for you to be delivered. And what you're seeing right now is a fulfillment of that prophecy that tells you that the time has come that you can be delivered. And there's a need to call upon the Lord. What Peter is pointing out is that this was not some kind of a work of the flesh. This was not something, it was not just an emotional experience. It wasn't people babbling and carrying on and acting in inhuman ways. Rather, what it was, was God demonstrating that his word is true. And if this prophecy is true from the prophet Joel, it means that other prophecies are also true. And what Peter is calling them to is to begin thinking about those prophecies because he's going to direct the message very clearly towards the focus of most of the prophecies of the Old Testament And that is the coming of the Messiah. Because he wants them to understand that the Messiah has come. So what meaneth this? It meant that the power of God was present. It meant that the prophecies of God were fulfilled. Third of all, it meant that the preeminence of Christ is clear. Beginning in verse 22, Peter takes the message in the direction of proving that Jesus Christ is the one who is predicted by the prophets. He is the Messiah. He's the one that all the children of Israel should be looking to. He mentions Jesus in verse 22. He refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth. That's how he would have been known to these men. Not too long before. Just a few weeks before Peter was preaching this message, these same men stood and cried out, Crucify him! against a man named Jesus of Nazareth. Peter says, This same Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, but he's not just Jesus of Nazareth. You see, these people had assumed that he was some kind of a false teacher, that he was somehow uh, there from Nazareth. And what does the scripture say about Nazareth? Nothing at all. It, It doesn't point out that anything good would come out of Nazareth. But Peter says he's more than just Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man approved of God among you 
By miracles and wonders and signs, he calls attention to the fact that Jesus also had done many miracles. Jesus was approved of God. He had demonstrated his deity by the miracles that he did. And Peter points out in the end of verse 22, as ye yourselves also know. None of this was a revelation or a mystery to these people. They knew about the miracles that Jesus had done. Now he's warming to the subject. And in verse 23, he begins to speak about what happened to Jesus. He's Jesus who did these miracles. You know that he did those miracles. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And I want to point out to you here how important it is that we understand nothing that happened to Jesus was outside of the plan of God. God knew about this. God had foreseen this. This is God's design. This is God's way of reconciling man to God. But now he's going to put personal responsibility on this crowd. Because in verse 23, he says, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, That's right. Those wicked men and their wicked hands, they took Jesus and they killed him. And maybe you think about yourself. I wouldn't have done it. I would have known who Jesus was. I would have resisted the crowd. But the truth from the scriptures is that every one of us is guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately Jesus died because of my wicked hands, because of my wicked works, because of my sin against God, and because of your sin against God. That's why Jesus died. I had a part in delivering him up to death. I am responsible. Peter is placing the responsibility on these people. Jesus had died. But praise God, he hadn't just died. In verse 24, he says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Yes, he endured death. Yes, he died in our place. But the truth is, death could not hold him. Death is too weak to hold the creator of all that is, the giver of life. Death could not hold him down. He was raised up from the dead. And then, just so that they understood, he goes on in verse 25 to point out that this also is a fulfillment of prophecy. He goes back to the book of Psalms and he speaks about a prophecy that David made there in the book of Psalms about how Jesus would be raised from the dead and he makes the application. We don't have time this morning to dig it all apart, but you'll notice that in verse 31, he's pointing out uh, that he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. He was speaking about the resurrection of Christ. God had given him a glimpse. And David, though he had long been dead and buried, he points out, his sepulcher is even with us today. 
he must have been speaking about someone else. Who is he speaking about? He was speaking about one who had come from his line, one who had come from his generations, one whose name was Jesus, the son of David, who was born so that he might rule and reign on the throne of David. Now notice, in verse 32, he says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Who is we all? All those people who were speaking. We've seen him. We've touched him. We've handled him. We've eaten with him. We've spoken with him. He's spoken with us. We saw him ascend back up into heaven. We are witnesses. We know that he's alive. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Shed forth what? This manifestation. This Evidence of God's power, this speaking in other tongues, this filling of the Holy Spirit. The the obvious implication here is what you are seeing is because of what happened to Christ, because Christ is now alive and we are witnesses and we have been given this ability to communicate this. Why? Because of what verse 36 says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What does this mean? It means Peter is communicating the one that you crucified is the one that you were waiting for. The one that you put on the cross is the one that you've been looking for for all of these generations. He's the one who is anointed. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. He's the Lord. He's the ruler or the master over Israel. Now remember, they didn't want him. They cast him away. They crucified him. But he is Christ and he is Lord. Philippians 2 shines some more light on this. When it reminds us that God has given to Jesus a name. And that name is a name with such power and such authority that every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is given this exalted place. The Father has approved of him. The Holy Spirit has approved of him by filling these believers with his power and with the evidence of his strength and his wisdom. And the whole reason is so that these people who were listening would know assuredly who Jesus Christ is. You see, it meant, it meant that the preeminence of Christ is clear. They had rejected Christ, but they had not been rid of Christ. They were still going to answer to Christ. One day, Christ would judge them. It was imperative that they understood who Christ is. Fourth of all, what what did it mean 
the day of Pentecost. It meant the power of the gospel is real. It would be more to our understanding if Peter and the apostles had said to this crowd, Now shame on you. We wash our hands of you. You put our Lord on the cross. We'll have nothing to do with you. But that's not what they said. You see, when the message was preached, verse 37 tells us that the people in this crowd experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a good place to get to. It's a good place when someone comes to the realization that they are justly condemned. They're guilty before God. There's nothing that they can do to change their position before God. And they ask the question, what can I do? What needs to be done? That's where these people had come to. Again, the answer to them wasn't, too late, nothing for you to do. Oh, no, there was something for them to do. There was a response that would be shared with them. There was clear condemnation from the apostles for their rejection of Jesus. But there was also real hope that was given to them through Jesus. The one they had rejected is the one who wanted to redeem them. And so in answer to this question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now I want to just point something out. I don't have time to dig into this passage deeply. Some people come to verse 38 and they say, see The Bible says that you have to be baptized in order to be saved, to have your sins washed away. I believe that's a misunderstanding of this passage. Based on the authority of the rest of the Council of Scriptures, which teaches us plainly that salvation does not come by baptism. Salvation comes by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ with obedience By believing on Jesus Christ, turning from our sins. That's why he used the word repent. I believe that what he was saying here, repent, encompasses the whole package of salvation. The event of what takes place in a person's heart. You say, well, he didn't use the word believe. No, he didn't. Just like in some places... He'll use the word believe and not the word repent. But everywhere in the Bible, you'll find that real Bible faith requires repentance. And real Bible repentance ends in faith. They're two sides of the same coin, so closely linked that they can be used interchangeably. Repent. What is the baptism about? The baptism is the public declaration of their faith in Christ. You understand that for them to follow in baptism is going to set them apart from others. It's going to put them in a place where people are going to say they're Christ followers. 
They're making a public profession of their faith when they follow in baptism. Peter said, if you'll obey the gospel, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will also come upon you. Now, I point out to you this morning that obedience to the gospel will involve an attitude of repentance towards sin and self-righteousness. It will also involve a faith response to Jesus and his provision for us. We must obey the gospel. Baptism will be the demonstration of that inward response. No one is baptized in order to be saved. They're baptized because they already are saved. You might look at the wording of verse 38 and understand it to read this way. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the word for has a couple of different meanings, but you could think of it in this way. The word for can mean because of. So if you read it that way, let me find my verse. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ because of the remission of sins, for the remission of sins. I'm not trying to change the Bible this morning. I'm pointing out to you that words have meanings. You can't impose one meaning on a word and say that's the only thing it can mean when the word has other meanings. In this case, this is a responsible way to read the text, and it also puts it in agreement with the rest of the Bible message, which is that salvation comes by obeying the gospel and baptism is the response of someone with a clear conscience towards God who wants to make a public profession of their faith so that everyone will know they are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, what really stands out in verse 40 is the word of Peter. It says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That word untoward means crooked and perverse. There was a need for these men to turn to Christ, to respond to the gospel, lest they be pulled down by the sin that was all around them, that was evidenced in the world all about them. And he says, you need to be saved. You need to be rescued from this untoward generation. Where would this salvation be found? It would be found in Jesus, the very one that they condemned and crucified, the one who died for their sins. Truly, the day of Pentecost was a special event. There's a lot of meaning that's attached to it. You say, well, that's, that's all fine and good. That's what it meant for those people. What does it mean for us? We don't anticipate experiencing the day of Pentecost again, despite men's best efforts to replicate it. You know, there's lots of people who've tried to replicate the day of Pentecost. I know of pastors who've said, we're going to have as many people saved on Sunday as they did on the day of Pentecost. That's kind of hard to manufacture, by the way. And, and you probably wouldn't be surprised that there was a lot of chicanery to get the results that were intended for that day, to get a lot of people to pray the prayer and go through the baptismal water so they could say, we did the day of Pentecost all over again. It's a bunch of tomfoolery in the name of Christ. 
That's not what God has called us to do. This wasn't something that they manufactured on their own. This was the power of God. You say, well, would we expect something like this? Well, I don't know if God will ever let us see this many people saved on one day in one place. I have no idea what God will do. But I do want you to know this morning that the power of God is real. It's real. His power is real to change your heart, to change your eternal destination. His power is real to change your life, to transform you into the image of Christ. The power of God today is just as real as it was on the day of Pentecost. The prophecies of God that were fulfilled have everything to do with us just as they did with those people on that day. Because the prophecies of God are fulfilled, we can have confidence that the message is true, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Today, our faith rests upon these same promises, and our faith is assured when we know that these prophecies have been fulfilled. The day of Pentecost means to us that the preeminence of Christ is still clear. The Christ who ascended back to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father is still seated there. And the book of Hebrews says that he has gone there to that place to provide intercession for us. To be a mediator between God and man. And there's only one mediator between God and man. If you're hoping that Mary will make a way for you into the presence of God... Or you're hoping that one of the saints that of your picking will get you into the presence of God. Or you're hoping that some priest will get you into the presence of God. Your hope is misplaced. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. He's the one who goes between. He's still the preeminent one. He's the one who's provided his blood as a covering for our sin. His body was broken on the cross. He's the one who raised from the dead and provides to us salvation. No one else can deliver us. Jesus alone provides salvation. What does it mean, the day of Pentecost? It means, fourth of all, the power of the gospel is real. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Greek, whether you are Gentile or you are Hebrew, whatever background you come from, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel can change your eternal trajectory and it can change your life here in the nasty now and now. Praise God, the power of the gospel is real. What we find when we study the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is that the day of Pentecost was all about Jesus. See, a lot of people get confused and they think the day of Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit was definitely prominent. He was definitely there. He was definitely working. But what was he doing? He was empowering these believers so that they could exalt Jesus, so that the people who were listening would know that Jesus is the way of salvation. 
They were proclaiming the true identity of Jesus to people that just a few weeks before had cried out for him to be crucified. This is remarkable. And this shows to us the heart of our God. Why would God be so merciful that he, just a few weeks after this same crowd of people had put his only begotten son upon a rough wooden cross, had screamed out against him with anger and hatred, God said, that one that you put on the cross died for you. Your sins could be forgiven if you'll only turn to him. What a marvelous truth to think that God is so merciful. You might be sitting here in the sound of my voice today thinking there's no way that I could ever be saved. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how I've turned away from the Lord. You don't know how I've rejected him. Oh, I have good news for you, my friend. Jesus came to save people, even people who reject him, even people who turn away from him. You'll have to come to him. You'll have to repent. You'll have to come to him in faith. That'll be your choice. But my friend, he came to save people just like you. The day of Pentecost shows us that the power of God is real and present to save sinners. Though you and I don't experience speaking in tongues and these other signs today, we'll find that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we also will make much of Jesus. There was a purpose for these signs. There was a purpose for what God was up to, and that purpose was drawing folks to the Savior. God's still in that business today. This is actually the work of the Holy Spirit today. He convicts men of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he points men to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning, if you're hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is pointing you to Jesus Christ this morning. And if the Holy Spirit is troubling your heart and calling you to come to him, why would you do despite to the spirit of grace, to the one who graciously calls out to you to repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ? Won't you come to him today?